You're listening to Make Your Way, Season 7, Episode 3. Welcome to Make Your Way, where we explore what it means to work and create on your own terms. Along with every episode, we post links to resources mentioned in the episode, along with a full transcript. You can find these materials at drkatylinder.com backslash MYW. Hello, Sarah. How's it going? Good. How are you, Katie? I'm well, although I have to say, I always feel a little trepidatious when I know we're going to talk about money stuff. And today we're talking about money stuff. So I'm like, how's this going to (laughs) go? Money, money, money. (laughs) But it's so important to talk about. So we thought in this episode, we'd talk a little bit about kind of financial planning, revenue streams, you know, how we're really thinking about this versus how we were thinking about this in the early days, you know, when we first started out. And I'm wondering, Sarah, if you can talk a little bit about where you currently are, just like mindset wise, when you think about business finances. I mean, can you articulate that? Like, what does that feel like for you right now? Yeah, um, sure. Before we hit record, we talked a little bit about, uh, I, I mentioned to you, Katie, that I'm, I'm feeling really kind of different than I used to about the financial side of things. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, frankly, finally being really in alignment with where I want to be and where my skill set is useful and the, the kind of work I want to be doing and, and the people I want to be working with and all of that kind of stuff is kind of really gelling right now. Um, which is a wonderful place to be. I'm, you know, <laughs> I have very little to complain about it in, in respect to where my business is right now. But um, when I think about it financially, um, it, it, it's much less a concern of where, um, you know, where is the money going to come from and is it going to be there? Though I do still have concerns about that uh, in part because of, of the nature of my business where it is right now during the, during the pandemic versus, um, where I see it going in the future. I'm not quite sure. I have, you know, I have ideas, but I don't, I'm not, I don't have a plan exactly uh, in motion yet for how I'm going to pivot yet again <laughs> when the pandemic uh, kind of wraps and we're able to kind of go back to at least an, a new normal. Um, but for me, you know, I, I have a better handle now on the services that I'm offering, um, what they cost, what I need to charge for the things that I'm doing. Uh, as well as sort of the alignment with my values about keeping my fees, um, you know, reasonable during a pandemic where a lot of arts organizations who are my primary client base right now, um, you know, a lot of arts organizations are struggling. And so being sensitive to that while also recognizing what I need to make in order to have my business, you know, be, be functional in the ways that I need it to, um, it's been a, an interesting journey the last few months kind of coming to that place. But, um, you know, I, I do feel like not only are the things, the skills and the services that I can offer valuable and, and important for people, I also feel really in alignment with um, providing services that, that are, are needed right now and that, that organizations really find useful and valuable to have. And so it's kind of just this nice, alignment of both the values part and the money part, which is not something I had necessarily experienced um, early on in the business to the same degree. Um, you know, I, I certainly felt like I was adding value and was contributing things and, and having great conversations and, uh, and, and valuable work with people early on when I was still kind of in the early childhood world, but it was, it was not quite the same level of alignment that I feel now. Um, and I use that term because I know you've, you've talked a lot about alignment over the years, Katie, and, and it, it resonates with me 
really strongly right now. Um, so I don't know that that answers the financial question necessarily, but I, I think, you know, as I think about finances and as I think about planning and, you know, where my revenue streams are coming from and where they might come from in the future versus how I had set things up in the past, I see a lot of progress and I see a lot of, I would say, more maturity in my business and in the way that I approach doing business um, than I had before. And there, I think, are lots of reasons for that. But um, alignment, I think, is definitely a primary one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is really interesting, Sarah. And what it makes me wonder about is when you talked about this concept of maturity, I also feel like... <sighs> I don't, I mean, I feel like, I feel like a kid even saying this, but I'm like, I feel like as we become adults, (laughs) there, there is a different level of financial maturity and just understanding that we have that we, I feel like I've actually actively tried to become more aware of like financial education, you know, to kind of better understand certain steps that I'm taking with my partner and like, what is kind of good strategic moves for us to make as we kind of grow our net worth and things like that. I'm wondering to what degree you see that as being a factor in the maturity of your business finances that as you're kind of coming into adulthood, you're also understanding or maybe thinking differently about things like retirement or, you know, where you are midlife and and what you want to have in savings and, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely true. And, and, uh, you know, Katie, you shared earlier in one of the other episodes of the season that, you know, when you first started out, you were kind of late twenties, early thirties. And, and now, you know, we're both older, we're both in that, in that uh, older uh, category where, where those kinds of things become more important to think about, um, Mm -hmm. about when do you want to retire? How do you want to set yourself up for that? And, and all of those kinds of things. And um, so, yeah, I would say that, that definitely there is an element of, um, you know, maturity in terms of thinking about how do we set ourselves up well for, um, for the future, um, for my partner and I, and, and all of that. I, I also think that for me, uh, in terms of the business, there's just more coherence in, um, my understanding of, of the types of services that I offer and that, uh, that those have a certain value attached to them, right? Like mm-hmm. I understand my own market better, I guess, right, is another way right. to put that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I understand the value that I, that I offer in a different way than I, than I did in kind of that previous era, <laughs> for lack of a better term of my business, where I was doing a variety of different kinds of things, but in the early childhood world, it was a little less clear to me the kinds of services I was offering, what they would be worth, how that would how that would work. Um, but moving into arts consulting and moving into um, video and, and digital engagement consulting, you know, I, I have a better picture for what that looks like and also what my time and and expertise is worth in that area. Um, and I don't know, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but there have been times where I've definitely thought about. Um, the, the sort of challenge of working in psychology is that everybody kind of thinks they get it. And especially child psychology, it's like, okay, but is that any different than, you know, parenting or understanding parenting? And it's like, well, no, there's more expertise involved in that. And so I feel like there was always this layer of education about the value of the services that somebody in my line of work would have offered. Whereas in, you know, video production, you know, online kind of marketing, those kinds of things are still, uh, 
I guess, black box enough that people sort of respect that there is a skill set involved with that. So I guess there's like an easier sell to make too, in some respects, which has just been really fascinating and is a sort of different diatribe for a different day maybe, but has been something that I've noticed is I feel like I don't have to justify as much um, in this in this new field, whereas previously it, it felt like a lot more, I was kind of having to make my case for why somebody who is a professional in, in, you know, in this area of study needs to be paid for that work. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't know. That's just sort of a side, mm -hmm. a side tangent, I think, but, um, but also a lot of practice in asking for what I'm worth. Sorry. That is my dog Niles barking in the background. He's being a puppy. Puppies be puppies. <laughs> um, anyway, the, you know, so I think there's, there's a lot of um, experience that I gained in kind of figuring out how to have those conversations um, about value and about charging and that sort of thing. Um, so the practice has certainly helped too, where now I can just be like, yep, this is how it is. Sorry. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so there's more confidence in that, in that ask as well. So um, yeah, I don't know. Those are just some of the, the things that your question made me think. I don't, again, don't know if I'm actually answering your questions today, but here we are. <laughs> well, the money stuff, I feel like we have to like feel our way around it a little bit, you yeah, know, like it's, yeah. it's interesting to think about. It. And I don't know that we always think about it at this level and kind of have yeah. this kind of retrospective, you know, considerations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Katie, I'm curious for you, you know, how has your um, perspective of, of money and of budgeting and, and of, you know, charging and all of those kinds of things, how have you seen that progress from when you first started to where you are now? I mean, I feel like one of the biggest changes that I can really think about is the ratio of like how I'm dividing up the money that is coming in from the business. I used to be super conservative about this. And I've talked about in other spaces that in the first year, like we took out 5,000 in salary draw and that was it. I mean, we were just like, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know about taxes. We were just so concerned about, you know, not wanting to get ourselves into a hole, you know, with, with taxes and things like that. And when we started out, I think like the year after that, I was doing like a 35% salary draw and then 50% was going to savings and taxes, 15% was going to business um, expenses. Over time, I've shifted that ratio to now we're at a place where I'm doing about 60% uh, salary draw, 30% to taxes and savings and 10% to business expenses. And it's taken all this whole time for me to kind of figure out and, and and that may change again. I may shuffle it, you know, a little bit, but it's taken me a number of years to kind of figure out the rhythms and and what our tax situation looks like. In part, it's been a little bit challenging because, and this is a good problem to have, our revenue has increased every year. And so come, you know, we pay our quarterly taxes, but come April, we always have a relatively large tax bill because we had more revenue than we forecasted, even though we've been raising that every year, you know, sometimes we don't raise it enough. Um, and so it's a conversation we've been having with our accountant. But I think that um, for me, that's been one of the bigger things is that I've seen over time, just more, we're taking more out of the, the revenue every month. And it's allowing me to have a better picture of from kind of a quarterly basis, like a monthly basis, a quarterly basis, but also an annual basis, how much can we expect because I know what the ratio is. I know roughly, you know, what we're, what we're forecasting for revenue. And I would say the last couple of years, uh, we've been in a situation where within the first month of the year, we forecasted the first six figures of the year. And so that level of stability is huge 
I mean, just to be able to say, I know, I, you know, by the end of January that we're going to have this amount of income. And, and part of me is like, yep, everything on top of that is just icing. I mean, like I, you know, that, that to me is like a base, a new baseline for us that um, honestly feels a little weird uh, <laughs> to have that as our baseline. But I also, you know, it helps me to feel more stable. It helps me to understand that there is a rhythm. There is a consistency with what we're doing. And part of it is because we have certain launches that happen at certain times in the year. Those launches allow me to know pretty early on in the year if something is going off track and if I need to launch something else um, or if I need to be thinking about a new product or something like that. And um, so I think I'm just... Uh, way more strategic. I mean, I, in the beginning, it was like randomly launching things. I was launching things on top of other things. I mean, it was just like, I was way more in the creative mode than I was in the like strategic planning mode. And that was fine. I mean, I, that was what I was enjoying at the time. Now I feel like I have less time to create. And, and so it's, I'm way more focused on, um, launching what we're already doing and, and kind of the things like the coach training program, like I'm not having to recreate that every year. Like the curriculum is stable and, and I know, you know, kind of what that's going to look like. So there's been, I feel like in previous years, if people were to listen back to episodes of Make Your Way, they would hear me talk about constant launches. They would hear me talk about lots of like random, oh, let me just design this thing and like throw it out into the world. I feel like I'm less likely to do that now because I don't have the time, but I'm also more like I've talked this year about launching a new product around project management. I'm working on it. I don't really know the timeline for it. I, I don't have time to just like binge create it. And so I'm being a lot more kind of thoughtful about what exactly I want it to be and how does it fit in with everything else we're doing? And do I actually have the time to, to maintain something like that and to really build it? So I feel like there's a, a lot more strategy between the financial planning and the revenue streams. Um, and it really does show up in kind of the the ratios and and how we're using the money and like reinvesting the money back in the business as well. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk, Katie, because I, I, am also reminded that we, uh, that we have different business structures too. So, um, yours is, is a lot of sort of product based. And even though some of those products are like a coaching training, right. Where you are working with individual clients, you are doing much less of the responding to individual client inquiries to do a specific project for them. Whereas like, that's my bread and butter right now. Right. And right. so it's interesting to kind of hear you talking about forecasting. For me, it's a lot more um, dependent on kind of what inquiries come in when and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm still learning this kind of new environment and, and it's definitely affected a lot by the COVID pandemic and, and that sort of thing. But I'm also kind of getting a sense for, rhythms of seasons for uh, for the arts world a little bit. And also having an idea and kind of an eye on the future of like when things do get back to normal, what does my shift need to look like? And, and I think there's a lot that I've learned from you, Katie, over the years about kind of taking what you have learned and created uh, in one context and shifting it into a product that people might be interested in. Um, so, you know, packages and that sort of thing about digital engagement, because that need is not going to go away <laughs> when the pandemic ends, right? This is, if nothing else has been a wake up call for a lot of arts organizations about the need to have a really strong digital presence. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think there are still opportunities there. Um, for me, when I think about 
planning for 2021, it is a little bit of, it's going to be kind of quarter by quarter for me. Mm -hmm. So I've got quarter one pretty well figured out what that's going to be. But I think quarter two depends quite a bit on what happens with vaccine distribution in quarter one. And so um, as I'm thinking about planning, I'm thinking about what are those other products and services that I can start layering on top of existing client, uh, client base and and client work. Um, So I kind of want to draw that distinction because I think like, in some ways, the the product based business it, you can plan a little bit farther in advance, and you kind of know, you know, based on when you're launching, based on the success of it before, about what you can expect. And for me, it's like, do we have a vaccine yet? <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a lot yeah. of a lot of my business kind of riding on some of those questions, um, which is a little scary. But I also I also recognize that I'm developing a base here that is going to be a foundation for future work that I do. It's just a matter of how and when uh, that progresses, which is an interesting challenge for me, both right. in terms of like planning and also in terms of revenue. But I wouldn't yeah. have it any other way because <laughs> I'm me. Well, I, I would also say, though, I don't think it's an accident for anyone who's listening who knows anything about my day job. It's based on enrollments. It's based right. on how successful are we enrolling students into programs? So like the fact that I would build a business that sure. gives me some consistency because of enrollments, I mean, it's it's not accidental that I have yeah. knowledge of that area and that I'm bringing it into my business because I do think that there was, and I, I think it the accidental part is that I kind of stumbled into some of these business models and then was like, oh, I, I know what to do here. I, sure. I know how to kind of do this. But I do think that, to the degree of um, my partner and I talk about this a lot because he always says you can't control human behavior. So mm-hmm. he's like, you could have somebody sign up for coaching this month and then nobody signs up next month. I mean, like we we can market to people and we can kind of like have a psychology around marketing and like how to do that. But as you and I have talked about a lot in the past, we are not choosing marketing strategies that a lot of other people choose. Like, and mm-hmm. for example, um, we were trying to explain to my in-laws that I, in December, I was like booked back to back with all of these, what I call Q and A sessions for my slow hustle program, because you can't enroll in the program without talking to me first. Sure. You have to sign up and talk to me for half an hour and ask your questions and see if it's a good fit for you. I don't have a buy button on the website. I don't have a buy button for coach training. You have to talk to me. Like it's basically an application process in some ways where it's like, I really want to make sure that this is the right fit. I want to make sure that the cohorts are where they need to be in terms of just how they're going to be interacting with each other. And so like, that is a model that I've created, but it also means I have a lot of time that I devote to pre-screening basically people who come through these programs and making sure that, you know, they're going to be getting what they need and that this is really going to meet their goals. I've learned that over time, you know, like that's something that I kind of instinctually built in and I'm, you know, I realized how important it is, but I think that the whole other side of my business, the coaching side, I don't know when people are going to randomly, you know, sign up for a exploration session. And then once people do sign up, I would say 90 to 95% of the people who come to an exploration session with me, they end up buying a coaching package. But I think it's because I, I just had someone the other day say, well, I've been following your work for several years. And I, I just, this was the time, you know, where I felt like yeah. I could do this. And I was like, I mean, it's such a long game to, to bring clients in the door, which is totally fine. I feel like building yeah. that trust is huge, but what it means is I don't know when they're going to, you know, decide to sign up for coaching. I mean, like I have no way of controlling that. So I do feel like I've tried to create a, like a two-sided 
you know, situation here where one side is pretty unpredictable and I don't really know how many clients are going to come in the door at any given time. And then the other side is a little bit more predictable and that I know that I have enrollment cycles, whether or not people sign up for those enrollment cycles is still a question mark. Um, but it does help me to kind of gauge, you know, kind of how things are going. And if I do see one of the enrollment cycles being low, then it like encourages me to market more for the next one or to think about another product I want to release throughout the year. And because all of my enrollment cycles for coach training happen in the first half of the year, I have a pretty good sense of what things are looking like annually because of when those enrollment cycles happen. So I feel like I stumbled into that a little bit, you know, like mm -hmm. I, but once I realized what was going on, I was like, Ooh, this is smart. Ooh, keep going. This is, this is helpful. <laughs> um, which is sometimes I think how this happens when you're like right. <laughs> dealing with new business models. Cause coach training was a new business model for me. I mean like mm -hmm. that, I had to really think about how I was supporting a community of coaches in multiple cohorts. I mean, it's basically a curriculum that is running multiple times a year and I am the only one running it right now. So the, even the timing of that had to be thought through pretty carefully. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and having that sort of diversity of, of how people can connect with your business and how people can, can, you know, purchase your product or be a part of your coaching sessions, I think, uh, I think that that also signals a maturity of your business, right? You're not putting all your eggs in one basket. You've got a, a diversification strategy that makes sense uh, and that has that overlap built into it. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's this interesting moment. And this this is like definitely retrospectively thinking about my, my early self where I was like, oh my God, I have something that made $10,000 this year. Like, and this, now I'm like, yeah, that's only making $10,000. I'm not sure we want to pursue that anymore. I mean, it's like a very different, it's a <laughs> really a different, different perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. we're, we're in a really different, you know, and I think that that's the, the piece that's kind of, you know, over a period, a relatively short period of time, that's been a massive mindset shift for me to be like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the level of the numbers we're working with now. Um, I mean, it's not something I grew up with. It's not something that I ever felt like I would be, you know, dealing with. And, and I think for some people, they would look at our numbers and be like, wow, that's small potatoes. But for me, it's like, it's a big deal. Um, yeah. And to do that mindset work has been significant to get to a place where I feel like I'm making the right decisions and that I'm not coming from like a scarcity mindset or, you know, a mindset of just not really understanding concepts of wealth, um, right. which has been a, an important thing for me to be kind of up-leveling my own education around and, and not in the way that I see online where it's like, I don't know, there's a lot of, a lot of business coaches out there that are talking about wealth building and, and, uh, it's a little bit of a pyramid scheme sometimes. And so I, I'm, <laughs> I'm careful about how I talk about it because like, for example, slow hustle is not about like, Hey, get to six figures in one year. Like we're not doing any no. of that. And I, I think it's important for people to understand I am not coming from that in terms of my own, you know, programming. Um, and it's, it's been interesting for me to watch how other people are talking about wealth building in business. And, and usually it's about scaling, um, yeah. which is not what I'm trying to do. So, right. um, that has been also kind of interesting to wade through in the last mm -hmm. several years. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things we talked about in uh, a previous episode this season that we alluded to the fact that we were going to dig into a little bit um, had had to do with some of these changes and uh, and also 
sort of the perspective on on what's enough, quote unquote, right? Like mm-hmm. how, how do you define um, what you need to make the business work? And this this also has to do with, you know, all of the previous things you talked about, about conversations with with family and partners and, and other considerations about health insurance and, you know, do you have dependents and all of those kinds of things um, go into this, obviously. But Katie, I'm wondering uh, kind of as you're thinking about it now, um, where does the business fit into that and, and where, um, you know, you, you said, you know, you're not looking to scale in the same way that, that a lot of people online talk about. So I guess sort of where is your enough right now or, or how are you thinking about that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I read a book this past year that was really helpful for me and it was called Do Scale. It's part of a, a series called the Do Series, D-O. Um, and it was talking about the difference between scaling and organic growth. And mm-hmm. I think that that's why, why I say I'm not scaling because I don't put myself in that bucket of people who are trying to do like massive growth in a really small amount of time, often through hiring and other kinds of things. I'm more in an organic growth model. And, and I would say the organic growth model is, it looks sometimes like scaling just because of the way our revenue has gone, um, which has been surprising. And I think especially during 2020, my partner and I were both surprised. I mean, we were just not expecting to have the year that we did. Um, and there were a lot of factors that went into that. And especially I think people, people need coaching and they need meeting in their lives and, and coach training and coaching yeah. helps them with that. And, and we least released a product on blended course design, which in the middle of a pandemic people needed. Um, so, so there was stuff like that too. But so when I think about this concept of enough, um, it's kind of, we have exceeded it. I mean, that that's basically what I can say. Like the, mm-hmm. you know, if I run the numbers and I say, what does it take for us to live off of? What does it take for us to pay health? Like if I just take away my full-time job and I say, what would health insurance cost? What would it cost for me to put away money for retirement? What would it cost for us to pay for various insurances that we pay for now? Um, what would it cost for um, me to have a decent savings account and, you know, to donate money, which we currently do. And, you know, all the things, like if I want to do full picture, we're not living in a scarcity model of like, we can't do anything um, where we have exceeded that, you know? And so I think that that, um, that, that is one way of thinking about enough, which is basically this concept of monthly recurring revenue. What is your monthly recurring revenue? But I would also say the other way I'm thinking about it is, um, and this has been a mindset shift. So let me just like, <laughs> let me say that, is I am coming into an understanding of this being my peak earning time. So this is part of the reason why I'm willing to do full-time job inside business, because it is like, especially in a pandemic, my partner and I made a decision of like, we are socking away every penny. Like, we don't know what is going to happen with my job. We don't, you know, there were just a lot of unknowns thinking back to like February, March-ish where we were all like, what is happening? We didn't know what was going to happen with the food supply. We, I mean, like there was just a lot of questions and we both just kind of looked at each other and said, we are building a nest egg. Like we don't know what is happening and we feel um, a certain level of insecurity, you know, about that. And so let's just like sock everything away. So that's what we did. I mean, we spent all of 2020 basically. And remember no one was traveling. I mean, we invested in streaming TV services, which are not that expensive. So, I mean, like, this is like where we were, um, we bought food online. We stocked up our pantry. I mean, like we were doing the thing that everybody else was doing, but that was a different, uh, mindset to then come out of that year and be in a, a drastically different <laughs> financial situation because we had, made that decision together to do that. And we had a really good year in the business. And so 
all of that discretionary income was basically, we were able to funnel that toward, you know, that shared goal. And it really um, put us on a different pathway of thinking about like, where are we headed? What are we trying to do? And how are we um, thinking about, you know, the future of what we're trying to create, not just within the business, but just kind of our legacy, you know, as, as a shared um, household, you know, of what we're trying to do. And, and that involves a lot of things, you know, things that we care about, things that we want to be contributing financially to. And, and so we were able to make some good decisions about that this year. Um, so I think that for me, there are people who say, I need to know my enough number because that lets me know when to stop. You know, like that, that helps me to like take a break, you know, kind of thing. Mm. I unfortunately am not built that way. <laughs> uh, I am not really someone who's like, oh, we hit our number for the month. I can stop. I'm like looking four months ahead thinking, well, can we sock away, you know, for the future? You know, I'm, I'm always going to be focused on that. And so I think that um, I, while I can recognize kind of intellectually and logically, you know, that we've kind of hit the number that is allowing us to do this there are always goals now and, and like paying down our mortgage is the one I've talked about more publicly where it's like, yeah, this is the year we're doing that. I mean, like we, we have this nest egg and now we're kind of funneling, you know, finances in a different direction. And I, I've always been um, like curious about the people who have that enough number and it helps them to kind of stop mm -hmm. because I'm just, I, I, even though I am very tied in with values and other things, and I, I definitely wouldn't say achievement is one of my values. I definitely am motivated by achievement. Um, and I, I always have been. I mean, I think that's part of why I'm in academia. I think a lot of people who are listening to this can probably relate to that. And so there, to me, there's always this like, what's the next level? Um, how can I provide more value? And when I provide more value, we get more revenue. Um, and so if I'm constantly thinking about how to improve, increase um, the value that is happening with our audience, that necessarily is going to mean that we're going to have more revenue coming in the door, which then contributes to the cycle of being able to provide more value. So to me, like that's, that's the, it's not enough, but like, that's, that's what's driving me is yeah. that ability to create these spaces where I can do more pro bono work for clients. I can, you know, like create situations of value that are like surprising and delighting people that they're like, oh my gosh, like, and like one small example of this is, so I became a yoga credential teacher this year. And I do private yoga sessions for people in the prolific community and people on my newsletter, and I don't charge for those. Mm. And, you know, in my yoga training program, which is also kind of business oriented, you know, they're like, oh, you have to charge. And I'm like, actually, no, I don't. I don't because I have revenue coming in from other places. I love to share yoga with other people. I love to give them that mind body connection. It's really important to me to as a representation of my values. And I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do it for free because I know there's a lot of people who don't have access to that. So I think that there's things like that, that it's like, that is way more important to me to have choices around that than to try to hit like a certain number. Um, so yeah, I'm always moving the goal. I mean, it's that surprising to anyone that I'm like moving the goal down the field, but um, yeah. Tell me, Sarah, about you. Tell me about your enough number. <laughs> oh, it's just so interesting to hear you talk about it. And and I, I definitely resonate with a lot of the, the things that you said. Um, you know, the, the being motivated by achievement thing is a huge one for me and one I'm constantly working on, frankly. Uh, yeah, it's you know, not it, clean. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's thing. It's a thing to wrestle with for sure. It, it comes with its downsides. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think, I think for me, when I think about enough, um, you know, 
it is about finding that balance between providing value to the clients and the people I'm working with and providing value at, uh, at a fee that I feel like is reasonable, but that is also, as I've mentioned before, acknowledging the time that we're in currently. Um, and, you know, I think for me in terms of, of how does that fit in with my life, I'm also thinking about the balance between my work-life balance. And so Katie, when you said, I always want to know how it is with the with the people who hit that enough number and are like, okay, I'm out. Um, I'm, I'm not quite completely that direction, um, but I, I would say I'm probably farther down, down that, uh, that path than, than you might be. But um, for me, I, I'm, I'm in a situation right now where I'm looking at a, a very full quarter one, which is great. Um, and I'm, I'm very thankful to be there in kind of early January, pretty much booked. It's great. Um, but I know that, you know, quarter two is going to, going to be a little different. I think for me, the difference is that um, because so much of that is based on individual needs and context and all of that kind of stuff, it's a little harder for me to then say, okay, well now I'm going to devote the rest of my time in quarter one toward quarter two. It's a little bit more wait and see just by the nature of the, of the work and the clientele I'm working with. But um, for me, the, the last couple of months at the end of 2020, I, I actually, I think kind of overbooked myself. I, I managed to get all the work done and was high quality. And, you know, I was very proud of everything that I did. Um, but it was a really intense period for me. And, uh, at the end of that, I was like, okay, I don't want to do that again. (laughs) That was not fun for me. Um, you know, and it, it ended up working out fine, but there, it was, higher level of stress than I really wanted to be placing on myself, um, especially in the midst of a pandemic, but just sort of in general, um, I don't, I didn't want to have to work that hard. And I didn't financially didn't need to take on a couple of the extra projects I took on. I took them on because they were either interesting or I, you know, felt like, oh, I should take this on because X, Y, Z. Um, So, you know, I kind of now have a a sense for a little bit more of like where that line is for me. And so for me, it's not necessarily as much driven by a financial number as it is by a capacity issue. So I kind of have a sense for what is that capacity line that I don't really want to cross again, um, where I end up working nights and weekends, because I really, that's not, that's a a value of mine is to have time for for my family and friends and other things. So, you know, I, I think for me, it's, it's a little bit about the number, but it's, it's also about sort of my capacity because I also know that I'm not going to do the work as well as I would like to, if I am past that capacity limit. And so then I feel like, well, can I really charge for, you know, charge at, at as high a level for that work? If I know it's not going to be as good because I've taken on too much other stuff. Right. So there's, there's lots of that sort of mental calculation that goes into it for me because I want to be really proud about the work that I put out. I want to, I want to be able to stand behind it and say, yep, I did that. And, and, or I contributed to that. That was a, that was something that I, was a part of. And um, so the value of, of doing good work and doing good work well and doing it in a way that is healthy and sustainable for me is, you know, contributes to understanding what that enough means um, for me and, and for my business. But um, it, it is also nice being in this position of being in pretty high demand right now, because I, I can kind of make those choices a little more selectively than I have been able to previously in my business. And so 
um, you know, I also know that, that that ebbs and flows a little bit. And so, you know, there may be periods in this year or in, in years coming where there are sort of those, uh, you know, peaks and valleys moments. That's, that is sort of the, the reality of being a business owner. Um, and so I, I need to remind myself of that as well, that it's not always going to be like this. Um, and that can work for both the high points and the low points. It's not always going to be like this. Um, and so, you know, I'm enjoying being in the peak area, but I also understand that I, I do need to be kind of planning for, for the, the low areas too. So, you know, there, there is an amount of, of planning that goes into that financial consideration piece of it too, right? I am thinking about that, um, but I'm not, I'm not sort of thinking, okay, what can I work on next to make sure that the next quarter is, you know, at this level or whatever. So, right. um, yeah, it's, it's sort of a more see as it comes and, and kind of roll with the punches a little bit, um, you know, <laughs> in a statement that will shock no one who listens to this podcast. <laughs> well, I think what's kind of interesting too, and I, I have to like remind myself of this. So maybe it's a reminder for you too, Sarah, which is like Soul Hustle this year, we enrolled more people than we've ever enrolled. And I'm sure part of that was because of 2020, you know, people were like, maybe I need to think about my side hustle a little bit more seriously now that, you know, higher ed is doing what higher ed will do uh, that we, that we can't control. Um, and, but it also, it, like, I have to remind myself, like the more people who come through these programs, the more word of mouth is out there about these programs. Yeah. And the more clients I work with in a coaching situation, the more word of mouth people share about me as a coach. Like, so I think that that's the other piece is there is this kind of critical mass that happens, you know, and I do, I, I, and when I was going through my coach training, the, the master coach I worked under said, it'll be about 25 clients in for me, it was about 40 clients in. So it wasn't the same, you know, but it was, you know, this idea of like, I'm not doing a ton of marketing. Like I it's, it's at a place where there are people who work with me who are word of mouth marketing for me. And also people are like randomly stumbling across my website and, and, or they've listened to the podcast for years or whatever it is that it, you do kind of get into this situation later in your business where you're using different tactics for, for sharing what you're doing. And I think you are able to, I hesitate to use the word coast, but a little bit on this idea that like, you're not having to hustle all the time to get people in yep. the door. So yep. I feel like part of this for you too, could be the same where it's like, you're working with all of these people. Now you've had a lot more exposure to these different clients and yeah, maybe they're not going to need this exact pandemic service that you're providing right now, but it doesn't mean they're not going to need something in the future and that they're not going to remember that you can help them. Yep. Yeah. And that's really true. I, I can actually for, I think almost every client, that I have currently and or have worked with in the last six to eight months, I can identify exactly what thing brought them to me, which mm -hmm. is super interesting <laughs> yeah. and also really helpful because then I know where to put my energy. Um, so, you know, several of them came to me through uh, a couple of, of talks that I gave at a, at a professional conference. Several of them stumbled on my website through, you know, search history stuff. Several of them heard from someone else who had worked with me, right? Or, or you know, had seen a couple of different things that I had done in, in variety of contexts. And, and that was sort of what brought the requ request around. So it, having that information, you're right, Katie, totally is, is really helpful kind of knowing where those, where those people are coming from because then you can spend your energy marketing 
in those particular areas <laughs> rather than like scattershot trying all over the place. Um, you kind of know where to target your energy a little bit more and trust that, that either you're going to have repeat clients, which I have several this, this quarter, which is great. Um, or you have people who, you know, they talk to people and they say, oh, well, we worked with Sarah and it was great because blah, 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 blah. You know, I've had a few of those too, referrals. So uh, yeah, you know, trusting that, that your good work is going to um, have, you know, cause people to talk about you to other people uh, in positive ways that, that make others want to work with you. Um, you know, I, I think that is always a, a comfort as well, um, knowing that that's going to just kind of roll in the background and, and keep things moving, even in periods where it's a little leaner. Mm -hmm. So I also wanted to talk in this episode, Sarah, about the concept of fees and raising rates, because I think we're both charging differently than we did in the beginning. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, over time we have become more, and, and you described this and I don't know if it was this episode or the previous episode is this idea of, you know, your industry now, and you, you kind of know where you fit and you know what other people are charging. And, and that, that helps, I think, to kind of situate yourself. But I'm wondering if you can talk about that and kind of the trajectory or the transitions that you've made around you know, how, how frequently are you raising your rates or when are you making those decisions? Like how, how is that working for you in terms of also as you're shifting revenue streams? I mean, like you've, you've had a couple things that you've kind of sunsetted and, and shifted things in different directions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, I would say a lot of my, uh, my work now, because it is so individual project focused, uh, it, it is much more of an, um, an individualized quote for each thing, right? I have a general idea of kind of what I need to charge for certain elements of different projects. Uh, and then it's a matter of kind of piecing those things together. So um, for example, you know, I know what I need to charge to put together a virtual choir, like you see all over the internet of, you know, 40 people. I know what I, I, know what I need to charge for that. Um, I know what I need to charge if it's 60 people if it's 80 people, if it's 100 people. And so when people ask me for quotes, I can give them a pretty good estimate about like, this is what it will cost you. Um, and, you know, early on in the pandemic, I my, my rates were much lower in part because I was still figuring it out. Like I didn't necessarily know exactly how to do um, all of the things that, that would go into, you know, a really high quality virtual choir production or a virtual event production. But now I have that experience, I've learned a lot. Uh, and so now I can confidently say like, like, yeah, this is what it's going to cost. And it is considerably higher <laughs> than it would have been, you know, eight months ago, in part, because I know the value that I can, that I can contribute. And I know, based on the other things I'm seeing in the market, I know where mine fits, you know, I know the quality level um, that, that I can come in at. So, um, and for some organizations, that's not a good fit. And, and sometimes I'll get inquiries where, you know, we'll go back and forth a little bit and they're like, well, I, uh, I can't really do that. I'm like, okay, well, here is a, you know, a slightly reduced package and what that would look like. So I have sort of the ballpark figure and then it kind of varies a little bit based on the individual client needs. Um, and I would say that that works the same with, you know, event production and, and other kinds of things. Um, I tend to base that on kind of a, a general idea of an hourly fee, but I don't charge by hour. So I, I do a project-based fee um, where I say, this is what this is going to cost you <laughs> um, for this element of this project. Um, but I tend to build that a little bit on um, estimation of hours and input and that sort of thing on an hourly fee that does go up. <laughs> um, and it has gone up a couple of times in the last 
few years. Um, you know, where I started charging um, per, for an hourly rate, I have since increased considerably because I know not only is, uh, you know, what I'm offering at a higher value, I know that I'm bringing a lot of experience, I'm bringing a professionalism, I'm bringing a level of communication and attention to detail and, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, for me, there was a, a realization that happened, I would say, a year and a half or so ago, that um, when, a, when a client is hiring me to do video production, you're not only hiring a, a video editor, right? A video editor edits video. You're also hire, hire, hiring a writer and a researcher and a project manager and someone who understands the needs of your arts organization, right? Who's a strategic thinker, right? Like the, there are all of these layers of value that I can now identify and talk about that justify the cost <laughs> that I am asking for, right? So, um, you know, that I think also helps is, is for me personally is, is understanding what those different things are that if somebody questions the fee, I can say, well, here is why that, that exists um, or here is why, you know, why I charge the way I do. Um, I also always kind of have, have the, this sort of joking, but not really joking conversation with returning clients about like, my fees are always going up, right? Like the, my experience is increasing. My expertise is deepening. I have more skills than I did the last time you hired me, right? So, so my fees are going up in accordance with that. However, I also really value returning clients. And so I have built into my fee structure a returning client discount because that's really important to me to continue to cultivate that relationship. So, you know, understanding, yes, my fees are going up. However, I want to continue a relationship with you. You know, we have a certain uh, communication style now that we know how that works. And so we don't have to build that from scratch. So I want to acknowledge that financially um, with a slight reduction in fee. So, you know, those are just some of the, the things that I think about when I'm, when I'm thinking about how do I charge for different project-based services um, and how do I charge clients effectively and in a way that reflects both my values as well as what they're looking for, as well as the actual work that is getting done. So it, again, we're doing lots of calculus here. <laughs> there's lots of equations, <laughs> not actual equations, but you know, there's a lot of things to consider when you're when you're building that kind of uh, fee structure. So, I don't know that that I don't know if that actually answers the question. I feel like it's it a recurring theme today. But <laughs> well, I I am I am imagining as you're saying all this, Sarah. I hope our listeners are imagining this too. If they've been listening to the show for a while, they're imagining the three years ago version of yourself listening to you and that person's jaw is hitting the floor. Like your earlier <laughs> self is just like, I'm sorry, what now? What? <laughs> you have this like super sophisticated way of thinking about what you're doing. You're like layering all these things that you sounded so confident as you were describing that. And I was like, you are killing it. You are killing it. And the earlier version of yourself is like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That is so yeah. fun to like hear you say that. I mean, I would encourage our listeners, if you haven't gone back in a while, go listen to like season one of Sarah and I talking about money. <laughs> And we're like, I don't know, like, ah, like we're totally freaked out by it. Now you're like, boom, 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 boom. This is how I decide. This is how I do it. I have yeah. value. Pay me my value. I mean, pay me my money. I love it. Yeah. No, it, it, it's been a fun evolution. And I, I think part of, um, part of what I'm really reveling in right now is, is feeling that settle into my business, right? I, I'm feeling that like, okay, I'm at home here. Like I know what yeah. I'm doing. And even when I don't know what I'm doing, I know how to figure out, figure it out. Um, I, I know the value I add. I know what I need to charge. Um, and I know, I also know that, you know, this is going to change and it's going to shift. And like, that's 
potentially going to suck. <laughs> I'm going to have to roll with that. But, uh, but that's just a part of it. And so feeling, feeling more mature and settled in my business, it's a really great feeling. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's, I would say only really been in the last year that that's happened. Um, and which is, which is why I also look back and I think, yep, a year and a half ago, Sarah, when you were wrestling with, do I stay in kind of child psychology or do I move to this other really unknown area that you're kind of feeling drawn to like, good job, girl. You made the right choice. Yeah, you went with your <laughs> gut. You went with your great instincts. To know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's so. huge. I mean, it's so interesting to think about looking back. I mean, this is why the retrospective, you know, is so important to kind of look back, but I would also say, I find it so interesting. I also feel that kind of settledness feeling of like, there's some stuff that I've like, I feel like my feet are under me a little bit and I, but there's also this, um, just uh, uncertainty about a lot of things too. So it's like you're mm-hmm. you're balancing like this feeling of settled in. But whenever I've been in a job and I get that settled in feeling, I'm like, whoop, time's up, time to move on. <laughs> like, I, I just don't like that because I don't feel challenged. I don't, you know, I, I'm like, it's, if I start to feel like things are too familiar, it's like, that's the death knell of, of that mm-hmm. particular job. Yeah. That is not how I feel in the business. And I think it's because there is this like infusion of constant change and like, you're always having to pivot and kind of think about things in a different way. You're working with new clients. Like there's all these different things that for some reason it feels different to me than when I'm working for an institution and I'm like, yep, I feel like I've hit my ceiling. I'm done. This is boring now. I, I don't feel that boring feeling in my business. I never have. Yeah. yeah. So I find that really interesting that there's a difference there. Yeah, I would, I would agree. For me, I think one of the other realizations I've had in the last few months is that I get so much energy and, and personal value out of talking with other clients or, you know, talking with clients all over the country who are doing different kinds of things, but kind of have the same kind of goal, but everybody has a different approach. And so I'm learning a ton about these different choral organizations, the different arts organizations who are approaching this question of how do we do virtual stuff, but who are coming at it with their own voice and their own flavor for how they do this. And so for me, the challenge of figuring out, okay, what is your unique thing and how do I help you take it to the next level? Like that is so, I I love that part of the process and, and figuring out that voice and figuring out, you know, what is it that you are trying to uh, contribute in this space and, and those kinds of things it's like problem solving, but in a very specific way. And it, and and there's an energy there that I love. Um, I love just asking, you know, these organizations, tell me about your work. Like what's really great about it. And you get people talking about, and I'm sure you experienced this with coaching Katie too. You get people talking about what they're excited about. And it's just like, yes, give me more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so energy. I mean, it like yeah. fills my, I mean, I could be at the end of a work day and be like, oh my gosh, I'm dragging. And then I have like coaching clients and I'm like, whoop, that fill cup is filled. Like, it's just like my energy yeah. just goes right back to the roof because it's just, yeah. Like working with yeah. people on stuff is important to them is huge. Yeah. The other thing I feel like I should acknowledge three episodes into this this season where we've been talking about this stuff is one of the other things that has has shifted for me a little bit uh, in in recent months is that I'm actually, um, you know, I have I have my own business that is just me, but I have a uh, a longtime friend and colleague who is also working in this space and and is also doing similar kinds of consulting, and so it's been really fascinating because we have 
sort of a partnership without having a business partnership. <laughs> so we're kind of constantly, um, you know, subcontracting with each other on different things where we need another set of hands or, you know, he has a very unique skill set and I have a unique skill set, but they work really well together. And so, you know, it's been really fun to kind of develop that partnership aspect of things and have somebody else to kind of bounce things off of and work with, but not you know, not be tied to in a like business, we are now business partners kind of way. Um, but also acknowledging that we're always going to kind of ask for each other's counsel and, and that sort of thing. And so it's been really, you know, that's been a really valuable experience too, just kind of learning about not having to do all of this on my own and, and what parts, you know, I can look for counsel on and, and have, uh, have that colleague relationship uh, and that colleague assistance, right? When there are things that I'm like, I can't do all of this on my own, <laughs> help. Mm -hmm. um, so that has been really valuable too. So I, I want to call that out as, as a definite contributor to kind of moving my business forward um, is, is sort of also having this other person who's also moving his business forward and, and he's newer to the business scene. So, you know, I'm kind of offering my nuggets of wisdom and he's offering his and it, it goes back and forth, which has been really, really wonderful. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I feel like there is also kind of swinging back around to what you were saying about increasing your rates when you're more in demand and when you can't take on every single person who comes in the door, that to me is the sign to increase your rates because yeah. you have, you know, you, maybe you're taking on fewer projects or you're taking on more complex projects or whatever. And um, I mean, I raised my rates this year for coaching in part because I never raised them after I got my second credential. And, and so I was like, okay, I think it's time, you know, to do it. But also I feel like I can take on less clients now. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's like, if I'm taking on less clients, I need to raise my rates, you know, so that I can just kind of balance out, you know, the fact that my volume is going down in terms of how many people I can work with. And a lot of that has to do with things like coach training and soul hustle, because I'm, I'm now working with people at scale and I'm, I'm working with them in groups, you know, coming through these cohorts. And so I can work with more people that way, but it, it cuts down on kind of the individual hours I have to give to people for one-on-one -on -one sessions. So I think that's the other piece of it is thinking about where, where is your time going and how important is it? And, and I'm not obviously traveling right now uh, due to the COVID situation, but if I were to bring campus speaking back, my rates would be going up significantly. Right. Um, and I, they were, they were below what they should have been before, but I was, mm -hmm. you know, I think not in a place where I fully understood how draining, honestly, it was for me to, yeah. to do that kind of travel. And now I think if I were to do it again, I mean, I would just really bump it because it's like, yeah. this is, this is a big deal for me to take yeah. two to three days out of my schedule and, um, to have to leave my home and, you know, all these things. Right. So Right. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to also think about just the scarcity of our own time and how that impacts what we think about yep. with rates. Yep. Yeah, with rates and and with how you do your business and I think I think that's that's the interesting thing for me is figuring getting creative about how do I um, how do I do some subcontracting, you know, with my colleague, Adam, who I just mentioned, like he and I have figured out a way where, you know, some clients are, he's the primary contact and other clients are like my clients. And then I subcontract him, you know, for certain pieces of things. So figuring out like, if I don't have the capacity to take this on right now, do I have another trusted colleague or, you know, somebody else that I can either pass this to completely or that I, you know, that I can work with in a different way, um, you know, and, and they're doing part of the work, but then I'm, 
I'm holding the relationship, right? Like there are so many different ways to do business, yeah. <laughs> right? And so even if you are self-employed and kind of on your own doing your own business, that doesn't mean you have to be doing it alone. Um, and that, you know, you can get creative about when you reach that capacity limit, uh, Katie, that you were talking about, like, I, I can't take on anymore. So how do you, how do you approach that question? Um, and I think that's a, that's an interesting, an interesting dichotomy about mm-hmm. kind of how we've approached, approached our own businesses, but yeah. Well, and I realized this year to your point about kind of help, um, you know, it's not a bad thing to train a bunch of coaches that you then totally trust in their abilities because you've seen them and observed them and assessed them as coaches to be able to like (laughs) refer a client who comes into my door and is like, well, you're a little expensive for me. And I'm like, sure, great. I know someone else over here who's really great. I I now have all these people to refer to that I know exactly what their niche is. I've heard them coach. I know who's a good fit. So there's definitely like, that was an unintended consequence of doing this coach training yep. program where I now have all these people that I can refer to. And yep. um, that's been really, really nice too. Yeah. Yeah. Expanding that professional network in a different way. It's not so yeah. much like, who are you and what can you do for me? It's more about like, how can I share the work around when I don't have the capacity exactly. to take on anymore? And, exactly. and I need somebody I trust to be able, you know, cause it's, you're still kind of banking on your own name, but um, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And it's like, if somebody's come through the program and I can attest, you know, like whenever you do a word of mouth recommendation, it's always your brand on the line, you know, yeah. to say like, I trusted this person. And, and this was why I developed my coach training because the one mm-hmm. I went through, I had a couple people that I recommended to it that didn't have good experiences. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. now what do I do? I can't recommend yep. people to that coach training anymore. I guess I'll just develop my own. I mean, like that was kind of the <laughs> logic, um, you know, in the beginning, at least that was my logic, yeah. silly, silly yeah. as it is. But I mean, I think that that's, for me, it's important. I mean, I do not recommend other businesses unless I feel rock solid that yeah. people are going to have a good experience. And this is why oftentimes, you know, when I'm talking on the podcast about a product or something, it's something that I've used for a long time and I don't do like sponsored stuff or whatever. Like right. I'm not really at that level. I'm not an influencer, you know, in all the ways <laughs> that we think about that. But I do think really carefully about before I'm like recommending or reviewing something, you know, and I, I try to give a lot of caveats of like, why this works for me. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're going to work for you. You know, I have a certain personality. I have a certain way of working that this is why this works. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 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 Cool. What else about well, and, financial and, planning? I was going to say, any other thoughts about financial planning and how that's changed over the years? I guess like one of the things I don't. I don't know what I want to say about this. I guess I want to say something around we we build these skills and talents over time, which does increase our value. But I also think, and this could be a gendered thing too, I think we probably wait too long to do things like raise our rates. Like we we have to be like settled in to like where we are before we're like, okay, yes, I feel confident enough that I can do this. Versus like taking the leap and just saying like, this is my value. Um, I feel like by the time you and I do that, it doesn't feel like a leap. It's like, nope, this is totally justified hundred percent. You know, it's kind of the thing where people say you you don't have to be 90% up, you know, to apply for a job. You can be like 60%, you know, and and men apply at like 40% and women are like, I I have to be 85% or higher with these criteria in order to apply for this job. I feel like this is what happens a little bit in our businesses too, as we wait until we're like 99% fulfilling this value when it's like, you can take a little bit of a leap. You can say mm-hmm. like, yes, I'm building my skills and, 
And I, I certainly see people around me who look super confident <laughs> when they're taking those leaps. I know inside they're probably not feeling it, but I'm always really proud when people do that. Cause I'm like, yeah, good, you know, good for yeah. you that you're like really stepping into that. There is this stepping into that. I think we can do earlier rather than later. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I, I, I would also say that I think one of the, the sort of other sides of that coin, which is something I think about sometimes is, is that when you raise your rates, you are kind of pricing yourself out of a certain market or yeah. a certain sub-market and putting yourself into a, a different market. And so you have to figure out, do you want that too? Yeah. So that that's another part of the equation. So for, for me right now, I'm working with a lot of kind of smaller mid-level kind of choral organizations and other art, arts organizations. And like, I, I find that work really fulfilling. And I know if I were to like raise my rates a bunch, they wouldn't be able to afford me. And I don't know, I, you know, I don't know enough about sort of the upper echelon of that market to know, you know, what I have the same kind of uh, experience, but it is certainly something I'm thinking about, like, you know, as I'm thinking about alignment and where do I want to be and who do I want to be working with, you know, sometimes your, your fees and your, your pricing does dictate a little bit of that too. So when you're thinking about making changes to your fees, you know, also think about what market am I pricing myself into and what am I pricing myself out of? Um, and does that matter? to you at that, at that particular juncture. Sometimes it yeah. doesn't. Sometimes I'm just like, nope, I need to make more money than this because I hate my life currently. <laughs> but there are lots of times, variables. Right, exactly. Lots of variables. But that is one that, that I've been thinking a little bit about too, is, you know, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily want to price myself so far out of, you know, this kind of you know, market that I'm currently in because I find a lot of value in working uh, in this area. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would also bring the, another perspective to that, which is, sometimes pricing yourself into a new market brings you into alignment. So for example, mm -hmm. you know, I think about when I raise my rates and that means I'm working with people at mid-career or higher, I'm working with people who are in higher level academic positions, I'm starting to do more executive coaching, uh, like I coach with presidents and, you know, other people within higher education, that to me is more aligned with where I am in my career, what yeah. I know to talk about, my leadership skills and strategy and things like that that it actually brings me more into alignment that if I'm working with like graduate students or pre-tenure track faculty, where it's like, I'm not really in that mode, you know, like I can, I can certainly coach those people and I do. Um, but I also feel like in terms of where I'm niching and specializing, it's a lot of mid-career senior women. Yep. I mean, that's, that's really, and, and that's where I am right now in my own right. career. And so, and I also would say there are other coaches um, that are going to be better at coaching those other niche populations right. because of whatever they have passions, they have background experience, they have other training that I don't have. Um, and so I think that there's also, you know, in, in that case, it happens to be that more money brings me into alignment, but yep. I feel like there are other situations that are similar to that, where it's like, it may be that your level of experience actually necessitates you working with a higher level because that's, what's going to keep you challenged. That's, what's going to help you to continue to grow, you know, in whatever yep. area, so I, I also think that there's like this, um, this is why actually it's helpful for me to do the coach training program, because I always know there's coaches coming in behind me that it's not like I'm the only opportunity this person has to work with the coach. I may not be the right fit. The financial reason may be one reason why I'm not yep. the right fit, but there could be other things in there too. And I think that, that, that it's important for everyone to realize that like, you're not the only person out there, you know, who's doing these services. They will find someone to help them. 
And I, that for, that was hard for me in the beginning. Cause I wanted to help everyone. It's like, if you came yeah. in the door, I wanted to be your person. And now it's like, I have a much better understanding that I might not be your person, but I can help you find your person. Like right. I I'm more of a connector. Now I'm more of a community builder now where I'm trying to kind of make sure that people are in the right spaces so that they have the support they need. And that has opened up my mind a lot in terms of like the different levels of what I'm offering within my business. And like, you can buy into my prolific online community for $10 a month, hundred dollars a year and get a lot of access to me (laughs) through live events, through, you know, other things that I'm doing in that community you don't have to buy a $4,000 coaching package, you know, to do that or a $3,000 coaching package. So I think that having that like, you know, different layers for people to engage in is also important. If you decide to raise your rates, it's like, what else are you offering in your funnel that is giving people access to your knowledge, your content, you know, that is still providing value. And it's not like you're shutting a door on that Mm -hmm. population. They've still got my podcast. They've still got all these other things that they can engage with even if they choose for whatever reason, not to do like a private coaching option or something else. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. Yep. Cool. Good money conversations. Know. Have we, have we, we've answered all of the questions about money. No more money questions. I know. <laughs> I'll, I mean, obviously I hope people are leaving and they're like, I feel so fulfilled. I mean, what else could they have <laughs> talked about in terms of money? I, I mean, of course, you know, listeners were always interested in hearing, are there other questions that you have? You know, this is really just our season to kind of think back, do this kind of retrospective reflection on where, where, how, how far have we come? I mean, like, that's mm-hmm. really the question I think we're asking is like, we started in one place we've definitely made strides, you know, in some, to some degree. Um, I think there's still areas we're certainly working on, which we continue to unravel and, and talk more about, but um, I hope it's helpful for our listeners yeah. to kind of hear about the trajectory and the progress and the pathways that we've taken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a fun conversation to have. And I know we've got several more coming for this season. We do. Yeah. So way. until, until next time, thank you, Sarah, for another really good conversation. Thanks, Katie. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make Your Way. Show notes and a transcript for this episode can be found at drkatylinder.com backslash MYW. If you found this episode helpful, please consider rating or reviewing the show in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.